Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. And the statement you see on the screens is taken from the Redemption Hill Church doctrinal statement. It is on our website. Baptism by immersion is a disciple's act of obedience and public identification with Christ in his death and resurrection. It is not a means of salvation, but rather a visible and tangible representation of the gospel. So today we're going to talk about baptism. What is it and what does it mean? When you're playing poker, on rare occasions you get one of those hands that you know is a winner. You slide all your chips into the center of the table and you say, I'm all in. That's what baptism is like. You're going all in with Jesus. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture, Isaiah 53. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me? What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. You can be seated. So Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. He shares the gospel with him. The Ethiopian believes on Christ, and immediately he gets baptized. You see a similar thing in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. 3,000 people come into the church, and immediately they all get baptized. Acts 2 verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So who got baptized? It says those who received the word, those who believed. Baptism is commanded in Scripture. In Acts 2, verse 38, Peter turns to these 3,000 new converts at Pentecost, and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In Matthew 28, verse 19, in the Great Commission, Jesus commands the church to baptize new believers. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We don't baptize babies. We only baptize disciples. Those who have professed faith in Christ and a determination to follow him. In what name do we baptize people? Jesus says, just like they said her here earlier this morning, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look in your uh, bulletin, you'll see there's an outline. Um, and I, I kind of laid out the outline in pretty good detail in there. Also, there's an activity page for the kids. We included a little coloring area and a word search. And Ashley, we made it a little harder, so it'll challenge you today. 
we got some complaints that it wasn't challenging enough for the adults who wanted to utilize the activity page. So you see on the page, there's five questions. What is physical baptism? What does history tell us about baptism? Why do some people not get baptized? What is required for biblical baptism? And what is spiritual baptism? So first, what is physical baptism? It is a ceremony by which someone is immersed, dunked, or submerged into water. Who can baptize someone? Any believer. You don't have to be a priest, a pastor, or a pope. And even when Pastor Tim went out this morning, he kind of, kind of focused on his role as a dad over and above his role as a pastor. I thought that was interesting. Where can you baptize? Anywhere with enough water to immerse someone. Popular spots include rivers, lakes, swimming pools, and church baptismals. I have, it's even been done in bathtubs. When should you get baptized? The Bible says soon after getting saved. You notice the Ethiopian unit got saved, and that day he got baptized. How many people must be present? Two. You need a baptizer and a baptizee. One to baptize and one to get baptized, just like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. There were two. However, I think it is nice to invite friends and family to celebrate with you. Um, can I get a volunteer? Jonathan, you want to go? Come on up. Jonathan, our soon-to-be TV celebrity. Oh, it's a secret. Shh. I didn't say anything. Um, so first you need a, need a profession of faith. And probably before baptism, you'd ask someone some questions. You might ask, what is the gospel? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? My favorite one is, why did Jesus die on the cross? I think that gets to the point. Uh, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Let's make it personal. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? So basically, there's questions that you're going to ask just to see if someone is ready to be baptized. Do they understand the gospel? Do they believe it? Do they have a valid profession of faith? Now, I'm not worried if they can articulate their eschatology or more complicated theological beliefs. Basically, do they believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do they believe that Jesus died for their sins and that Jesus rose again? Now, what do you do when you baptize someone? And I, I'm telling you this because God may call you to baptize someone. So first, you have the person cross their arms. I've seen a couple ways. I think Pastor Tim likes to do, so you do that, or uh, you notice sometimes they did it with a hand out like that. Basically, you need a handhold that is not going to get you in trouble with 50% of the population. Now, they may want to plug their nose, so go ahead and see if you can cross your no arms and plug your nose at the same time. There you go. And um, let's have you turn this way here. Right there. So you got your hand hold, put your hand behind their back. You say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some more, uh, more detailed 
baptismal statements, and those are great. But I think biblically the minimum is I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, what one little tip, and and uh, no no judgment here. If there's a camera, you might want to have them facing that direction. So we had the camera facing that. The camera didn't it move? Wasn't it on that side last time? Yeah, uh, keeping us on our toes here. <laughs> So we got a camera on this side, so we're going to move you this way there, okay. And then, oh, no, don't go yet. That's a little sharp. So then get your hand hold, hand behind the back. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you step to the side, take them under the waters, and then back up. Give it up for Jonathan. Now, another tip with baptism is take your time. There's no rush. This is their big moment. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. No need to rush. Focus on the person, not the audience, if you happen to have an audience. Now, baptism must be by immersion because that is what baptism is. Part of me thinks we shouldn't have come up with the English word baptism. We should have just translated the word like we translate any other word in the Bible, and then it would say immersion. So there's a word bapto. It's four times in the New Testament. It means to dip, to dip into, or to die. D-Y-E. So (laughs) if I take a piece of cloth and I dye it, I submerse it in the dye, and then I bring it up, and it is changed forever, hopefully to the color you want. There's the word baptizo, and that is found many times in the New Testament. It means to dip completely, to immerse, or to drown. So when you put your chip in the salsa, you don't baptizo, because then your fingers are going to get in there, and people are not going to be happy. Then there's the, ver- the noun form, which is baptisma, which means an immersion in water. The English word baptism is not translated. It is transliterated. Basically, we took the Greek word and we just brought it into the English language. And anytime you see the word baptize in the Bible, you can just switch that word out with the, immer- with the word immerse because that is the literal meaning of the Greek word. Pretty much all scholars agree that the practice of the early church was to baptize believers by full immersion in water. Now, what does history tell us about baptism? I've always wondered, is there some connection between the Old Testament and New Testament in baptism? Well, in the Old Testament, they did do some cleansing rituals especially for women uh, uh, around time of childbirth and a woman's monthly cycle. Later, when Gentiles wanted to be part uh, part of Israel, they would circumcise the men and they would baptize all of them as a sign of them joining the covenant community of Israel. Then fast forward to the New Testament, we have the spiritual community of Qumran, from which come the... Dead Sea Scrolls. Thank you, Jason. The Dead Sea Scrolls. And they practice ritual cleansing. 
John the Baptist was likely from Qumran. And he steps onto the scene and he says he is doing a baptism of repentance. In Matthew 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. John says that. Now, the Jews were not surprised that John baptized Gentiles. Those dirty, rotten Gentiles, they need a good washing. But they were highly offended when John baptized their fellow Jews because they saw the Jews as being God's holy people. They don't need cleansing. Now, what happens next in the Gospels shocks us all. We still puzzle it over it today. Um, I, I personally had to really think on this one to come up with any idea of why this happened. But Jesus comes up to John and says, I want to be baptized by you. And John is shocked. He pushes back. Matthew 3.14 says, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Literally, John is saying, I need to be immersed in water, not you. I need a cleansing, you don't. 1 John 1.29, John signals to Jesus and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus doesn't bring sin into the world. He takes sin out of the world. He is the holy, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. He does not have any sin to repent of. So why would he get baptized? I think, it's my theory, I think Jesus is setting an example for us He's showing us the importance of baptism, and he is adding new meaning to baptism. No longer will baptism be symbolic just of repentance and cleansing. It will maintain that meaning. But at this point, baptism becomes symbolic of the work of Christ. And what better way for us to understand the gospel than for us to visualize Jesus himself buried in the waters of baptism and resurrected out of the water. It's prophetic. At Redemption Hill, we hold to believer's baptism. After someone makes a confession of faith in Christ and and professes a commitment to follow Jesus, we will baptize them. This is called believer's baptism or credo baptism. Credo is Latin for I believe. It also connects to the English word creed. We sang part of the creed this morning. Creed meaning a statement of beliefs. Now here is a snippet of the Apostles' Creed. Let's say it together. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, crucified, died, and buried. On the third day, he rose again. So we hold to credo baptism. But there are churches that that practice paedo baptism, P-A-E-D-O. Or you may have heard it referred to as infant baptism. Pedo is Latin for child. They baptize children when they are babies as a sign of entrance into the visible church or the covenant community. Now, a little bit of my history. I grew up credo Baptist at an Assembly of God church. 
And in college, I discovered the richness of Reformed theology. And a lot of Reformed people I respected were paedo-baptist. So I figured that I would probably become a baby baptizer. I listened to the R.C. Sproul versus John MacArthur debate. If you haven't heard it, homework assignment. And I expected Dr. R.C. Sproul to blow him away. But after the debate, I was convinced that MacArthur was right, that baptism is for believers. Since then, Dr. James White has debated very strongly, arguing for believers' baptism. He is one of the greatest apologists of our day. And I have come to believe that the Bible teaches believers' baptism. The early church practiced believers' baptism, and that we should not be baptizing babies who have not come to faith in Christ. I think MacArthur is right. Pedo-baptism is unbiblical and brings a lot of confusion into the church. As Dr. James White explains, early church history is complicated, And to some extent, you can find whatever you want to find related to baptism. There is no mention of infant baptism in the Bible. And believers' baptism by immersion was the practice of the New Testament church. Even John Calvin, who himself was a paedo-baptist, admits, quote, the word baptize means to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the early church. Church father Tertullian, who lived from around 160 AD to 240 AD, he wrote a book on baptism. In that book, there is zero mention of paedo-baptism. In the early church, it was a common practice that those getting baptized would renounce the devil and commit to follow Jesus. Two things that babies can't do. Tertullian actually opposed paedo-baptism, and he urged that baptism should be delayed. The development of paedo-baptism seems to have originated from a false interpretation of 1 Peter 3.21. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about Christ suffering for our sins. Then he talks about Noah and his family being saved on the ark. And he compares the ark experience to baptism. And then Peter says, baptism, which corresponds to this, Noah and his family being saved on the ark, now saves you. Baptism now saves you. And if you stop there and you don't read the rest of Peter's argument, you have a very nice proof text for the false doctrine of baptismal regeneration. This idea that people are saved by being baptized, rather than what we believe, that they are baptized because they have already been saved. But let's be Bereans and let's look at the context. So 1 Peter 3 verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Peter says, not a removal of dirt from the body. Now, what happens when you're physically washed or when you're physically baptized? You get clean. 
Dirt is removed from the body. And Peter is saying, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you are saved by physical baptism, but you are saved by spiritual baptism. There you go. So when you are baptized, you go under the water and you come up. Like Jesus died and rose again. Dirt is washed off your body. You're physically cleansed. And when you are saved, the blood of Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Romans 6 says you are immersed in Christ, baptized in Christ. That is what saves you. Not physical baptism, but spiritual baptism. Regeneration. Ephesians chapter 2, you go from death to life. Atonement. The price is paid for your judgment. Your sins are atoned for. Forgiveness. You are cleansed with the blood of Christ. That is what saves you, and that is spiritual baptism. However, people in the early church, around the second, third century, they misunderstood this. And they got this idea that physical baptism causes all your past sins to be washed away. So people tried to get baptized later in life. I call this geriatric baptism <laughs> or the senior soak. <laughs> they, they got baptized later so that they could wash away more of their sins. So you know, follow me. If you're, you're baptized at age 97 and then you die the next day, you have pretty much washed away all of the sins of your entire life and you're ready to meet God. So people would postpone their baptism as long as they could. And they were like, you know, Ethel, I think I'm about to go. Then we better get you baptized. So that is a false doctrine. Physical baptism does not wash away sins. It's the blood of Christ. Spiritual baptism. And it was the false doctrine of baptismal regeneration that led to geriatric baptism. And the same logic ultimately led to paedo-baptism. Let me explain. Infant mortality was big at this time. A lot of children were dying very young. And if you believe that someone is saved by being baptized and you believed their sins are washed away by physical baptism, then you want to make sure your kids are baptized before they die. So people started baptizing babies, especially sick babies, babies that they thought weren't going to make it. Then enter Roman Emperor Constantine, first Christian emperor. And at this time, Rome starts organizing everything systematizing everything. And the decision was made in the 4th century to start baptizing all the babies in the church. Catholics, Orthodox, some Lutherans, some Anglicans still teach baptismal regeneration. However, if you ask a Presbyterian or other truly Christian paedo-baptists, they will agree that baptism does not save you. And we still see them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And they will make this argument that circumcision was the sign of the old covenant. And baptism is the sign of the new covenant. 
In the Old Testament, Old Covenant, you circumcise babies. So in the New Testament, you should baptize babies. That's the basic argument. And that is a fairly modern argument. It didn't come about until, until over 1,200 years after Tertullian. It allowed reformers like Luther and Calvin to maintain the unbiblical practice of infant baptism while getting rid of the heretical belief of baptismal regeneration. Oh, we do have such a hard time breaking with our traditions, especially when there's a cute little white dress involved. <laughs> John MacArthur asked the question, why do some people in the church not get baptized? And he gives five general reasons. Number one, they are ignorant. They have not had the proper teaching on baptism and its importance. And after today, I'm hoping that this won't apply to any of you. Number two, they are prideful. They have a spiritual pride. They've gone so long without being baptized that to get baptized at this point would be very embarrassing to them. They would have to admit a very long time of disobedience and ignorance. MacArthur says they would rather be embarrassed at the judgment seat of Christ than to be embarrassed before the church. Number three, they are indifferent. They just can't be bothered. It's not important to them. It's not a priority. They have no compulsion to confess Jesus publicly. Number four, they are defiant. It's rebellion. They flatly refuse, maybe because they're courting sin in their life and they don't want to confess submission to Jesus Christ when in reality they aren't submitted to him. And they realize that going publicly, public and saying that they're renouncing the devil and following Jesus would be hypocrisy. They're harboring sin, so day after day after day, they choose that sin over Jesus. Or number five, they are unregenerate. They are not really a Christian. Remember that saying back in the 70s? Just like being in a car, being in a garage doesn't make you a car. Being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. They have no conviction of the Holy Spirit. They lack faith. They are not saved. So if you have not been baptized, you fit into one of these five categories. Now you might say, I got baptized as a baby. No, you didn't. You got a little wet. That was not a biblical baptism. John MacArthur says, probably the majority of people who claim to be Christians have not been baptized according to New Testament baptism. This failure to take baptism seriously in the church, this failure to follow baptism biblically in the church is very, the li very likely at the root of some of the immense problems in the church. Infant baptism confuses the issue of salvation by faith alone. It fills churches with baptized unbelievers, people who are not true saints, but they are baptized members of their churches. MacArthur poses the possibility 
that the demise of Christianity in Europe, the home of the Reformation, has largely gone agnostic or atheist. He poses the possibility that the demise of Christianity in Europe after the Reformation may be connected to or even a direct result of the confusion that arises due to infant baptism. He argues that the Reformation did not go far enough. The cry of the Reformation was not tradition, 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 or church fathers, church fathers, church fathers. But the cry of the Reformation was Scripture alone. And if you lay aside the church tradition of the Roman Catholic Church and you focus on what the Bible says, you will become a credo-baptist, not a pedo-baptist. Pastor Wayne Joyce asked the question, what is required for biblical baptism? And he says there are five requirements. He does a little math problem, and he attributes 20% value to each of the five, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100%. So he says you have to have all five to get 100% of Bible baptism. So number one, you need water. Acts 8.36 with the Ethiopian eunuch. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, there are some religious groups, like the Unity Church of Minneapolis, that baptize people in rose petals. Very romantic. (laughs) But not biblical baptism. Acts 10.47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? So number one, you need need water. Number two, you need much water. John 3.23, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. Number three, going down into the water. Acts 8.38, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and notice these two words, they both, Philip and the Ethiopian, the baptizer and the baptizee, they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Number four, burial in water. Romans 6, verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, obviously, this is talking about spiritual baptism or regeneration, going from death to life, but the physical baptism requires a burying in water so that it is a proper symbol of the death of Christ. Number five, coming up out of the water. Now, don't forget that part. In Mark chapter 1, verse 10, after Jesus was baptized, it says, he came up out of the water. So Pastor Wayne Joyce concludes, so what is true Bible baptism? It takes water, it takes much water, it takes going down into the water, it is classified as a burial in the water, and it takes coming up out of the water. Only immersion can meet that 100% requirement of Bible baptism. 
Because if you sprinkle someone, it does not take going down into the water. It does not take burying in the water. It does not take coming up out of the water. It's only 20%. All you've got is water. And when you pour water on someone, that's all you have is 20% of Bible baptism. And if you use roses, you have 0%. (laughs) The proper mode of Bible baptism is going down into the water and being immersed in the water. Now we close with the question, what is spiritual baptism? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Pastor Tim, when we were talking, he, he, the, he, he, the one scripture he wanted to make sure I covered was Romans chapter 6. And I think this expresses his heart on biblical baptism. So baptism is identifying ourselves, and we're going to get there in just a second, identifying ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We go down into the water like Jesus died. We come up out of the water like Jesus resurrects from the dead. When you become a Christian, you are spiritually baptized. Ephesians chapter 2, you pass from death to life. The old man dies. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are resurrected not to walk in diapers, but you are resurrected to walk in newness of life. Can you see why baby sprinkling is such an offense to the gospel? There's no faith, no regeneration, no death, no resurrection. Spiritually speaking, nothing has happened. Physically speaking, a baby has gotten a few drops of water splashed on its head. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... That means fully immersed into Jesus, were baptized into his death. Let me read that with the translation. Do you not know that all of us who have been immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by immersion, baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is arguing that as a true Christian, you should not continue in sin, but that your life should be marked not by perfection, but by a pattern of holy living. Why? Because you have been baptized spiritually baptized. Christ has done something powerful in your life. Baptism is a big deal. Spiritual baptism is salvation. Physical baptism is an acknowledgement that spiritual baptism has already occurred. John Piper says, don't think small thoughts when you think about baptism. Think big thoughts when you think about baptism. Think huge thoughts when you think about what is being signified when a person is being buried in water and comes up out of the water. This is not a game. This is not a charade. Piper continues, when a husband slides a wedding ring onto his wife's finger 
after 30 seconds of becoming man and wife by covenant vows, this is not a small thing. You don't blow it off and say this doesn't matter. Oh, it's just a symbol. It's just some silly religious thing. No, it's not silly. It's big. It's weighty. It carries huge things in it, end quote. Sometimes I take off my wedding ring when I'm exercising. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes, even worse, I forget to put it back on. And I feel weird about that. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. Now, you might say, it's just a symbol. Yes, but symbols matter. I am married to Carolyn Hansen. I am committed to her. I am not on the open market. I am taken. My wedding ring says that. Similarly, my baptism says that. I am taken. I belong to Jesus. I am part of the church. I am the bride of Christ. I stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil. I have been resurrected to new life, and I am committed to following Jesus. That's what baptism means. Why don't you stand and let's go to prayer. And I want you to consider now, where are you this morning? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you an unbaptized Christian? And if you have been baptized, have you spent time meditating on the significance of your baptism? It hit me this morning that about 10% of the people in this building have been baptized in the last 90 days. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray for the unsaved here today. You are shining your spotlight on their heart right now. May they repent and believe in Christ May they know the joy that we know who are in Christ, who have been immersed in Jesus. I pray that you would resurrect them to new life, that you would baptize them in the Holy Spirit and wash away all of their sins, past, present, and future. And may they get physically baptized very soon. Also, I pray for believers here who have not been baptized. I pray that they will talk to someone about baptism today. That they would go public with their faith and find the joy of walking in obedience. And the joy of this sacrament that is such a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I pray for those who have been baptized Maybe we haven't thought about our baptism in a while. But I pray that they would remember the significance of their baptism. That they would meditate on their justification. That they have been made righteous. Knowing that they have been raised from death to life, forgiven of all their sins, and immersed into Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful 
that you look on us and you see the righteousness of Christ and you love us. When we are doing well, you love us. When we slip up again and again, you love us and you just keep working in our lives and you will fulfill that promise that you will finish the work that you have begun in us. Thank you, God, for baptizing us into Christ. Amen.